Friends, here we are at worship, and shall we begin with a word of prayer? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we gather together this morning, we thank you that you are Lord over all things. You are Lord over our lives. You're the Lord who is the conqueror of sin and death. We celebrate just a couple of weeks ago the beauty of the resurrection, and we bask in the glory of a God who has defeated sin and death and opened the kingdom to all who would believe. We thank you, God, that as we worship you this morning, we lift our voices and our hearts, our minds, and our souls to you, and we know that your Spirit meets us in the place where we are, that you will touch our lives, that you will bless us, and that your Holy Spirit will minister in a way that makes sense to us and that we understand. We trust, Lord God, that as we gather to hear your message, it may be something that speaks into, into our hearts, and that you may know that even as we sit in our homes, wherever we are this morning in Bundaberg or all around the world, we know, Lord God, that uh, our spirits are lifted to you and you receive our praise and worship. May it be a sweet and beautiful offering to you, we pray. May you be glorified in this service. We ask, Lord, for your forgiveness for those moments where there have been things which have, uh, have distanced ourselves from you. Moments, Lord, where we have ignored you, left you out of our lives, where we have uh, not responded to your invitation. Moments, Lord, where you have spoken to us and we have simply gone our own way and done our own thing. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that in the resurrection all sin has been conquered and that today we run into those arms of grace and feel freedom that there is no weight of guilt upon our shoulders, nothing that blocks us off from you. You are our God, and we are your people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we give you thanks and praise as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> Friends, this morning as we worship, I want to draw your attention to the new banner that we have behind us. It's a banner that made beautifully for us uh, by Jenny Cunningham. It, is, it says hope across the front. And it is a reminder of the hope we experience due the, uh, in this coronavirus time. It is the same shape of the cross that Debbie did in her Art for the Heart series. And uh, if you haven't seen that, click onto our YouTube channel and, and pick that up. Uh, so thank you, Jenny. It's a lovely banner and, uh, and it's a, a visual reminder for us that even in the midst of the darkest days or the most difficult crisis that we find ourselves in, we have hope. Also coming up uh, this week is another new uh, item to our live streaming uh, feed. And on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to run a short interview, nothing more than uh, 15 minutes to half an hour, an interview about the sermon here on Sunday. 
Uh, I'll, it'll be on our usual Facebook feed, and I'll be interviewing a special guest each week that we will do this. This week, I'm going to interview my father, Reverend Fred Bosch, uh, for two reasons. One, I know he'll go easy on me on any questions, and, uh, and secondly, if there's any mistakes, he has to love me anyway. So uh, we'll have that interview. Uh, Dad and I will be connecting up <coughs> through the magic of Facebook. And, uh, and so I invite you to tune in 7 o'clock Bundaberg time on Tuesday night. So we've tried to put it in between everything. The reason it can only be half an hour is I've got to be done by Lego Masters because uh, I'm not missing that. Our, um, today is a, a special day in the life of Australia because we celebrate Anzac Day, which was yesterday, a reminder of uh, the sacrifices that have been made by our soldiers who have served uh, in conflict. And uh, we remember them today especially. It's the reason I'm wearing the poppy on my, uh, on my shirt. But also we've had a tragic experience this week in, um, in Australia, in Victoria. Four of our police officers were killed in the line of duty as they stopped a speeding car and a, and a truck rammed into them <coughs> in the, uh, the pull-off lane. And, and four, four officers with families were, uh, were killed. And so this morning for our prayers of intercession, I've asked Reverend Ray Nutley, uh, who is also serving actively as our local police chaplain, if he would lead us in our intercessory prayers, both for Anzac Day and for those fallen soldiers, uh, for the fallen officers. Thank you, Ray. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we meet here today, we continue to give thanks for the freedom that we enjoy in this country. This weekend, as we have commemorated Anzac Day, we acknowledge all who have fought for these freedoms that so often we take for granted. We especially think of those who paid the supreme sacrifice with their lives, for those who are obviously wounded, and for those whose wounds are not so obvious. We give thanks for those who stayed behind to support them and keep the country going. We pray for all our Defence Force personnel who are currently serving overseas in various postings, and also for those who are serving in our country. We also pray for their families, for all those serving members. Lord, we pray for peace, justice, and an equitable world where all people can live without fear of persecution and in safety. Lord, as we think of those who have paid the price for our safety and freedom, we pray for the families, friends, and workmates of the four police officers who lost their lives in Victoria last week. Through your Holy Spirit, surround them with your love and give to them that peace that passes all understanding. This tragedy reminds us of the vulnerability of life and of the many people who daily risk their lives so that we may continue to live in freedom and safety. We pray for all those involved with the emergency services, our police officers, fire and emergency service members, ambulance and paramedic officers. Keep them safe and may, be, and may they be assured of your presence with them at all times. Lord, we pray for peace and a just world. Lord, we pray for all who suffer from injustices, the abuse of power 
and for those persecuted for their religious beliefs. Surround them with your love and give them strength in their sufferings. For those who abuse their power, help them to realise what they are doing not just to those who are suffering, but to all of humanity, as well as their own lives. Lord, we pray for peace. Lord, help us to exercise responsibility as we enjoy the freedoms that so often we take for granted. Lord, I pray that we will always have the courage to witness for you and may all we say and do bring glory to your name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Ray. Our reading this morning is the uh, reading on the, the walk to Emmaus. And uh, for Anzac Day, I have asked uh, Lieutenant Colonel Janet Rasmussen, who is retired from the Australian Army, uh, if uh, she, would, she would do our reading today. <clears throat> and uh, we recorded that on a video, which we're going to show you now. Good morning. Our reading today is from Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do know not the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. 
Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Thank you, Jan. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, God our Redeemer, Saviour and Friend. We pray and ask that in the message that is preached we may hear your voice, that our ears may be attuned to what the Spirit is saying in such a way that it is something relevant to each of us, ministering to each of us. Touch us, we pray. We, your children, are listening. Amen. Like many people during the shutdown period, our family has probably watched a few more movies than we would normally have done. In our house, it's always quite a discussion as to what we'll be watching. There's five of us who have to agree on the movie. And sometimes we get to see good films and sometimes maybe not so good. The other night, we watched one of the ones that was not so good. Uh, it was the Fast and the Furious, I don't know, sequel number 63, I think it was. It was kind of goodish until we got to the part where Dwayne the Rock Johnson is holding a chain that has broken. He's got one in, other, in one hand, the other end in his other hand. So, so Dwayne the Rock Johnson is, in fact, the missing link which if you've seen him, you'll know that's actually quite a funny joke. But he's the link in the chain between a 4x4 going one way and a helicopter pulling the other way. And he pulls them together. Now, I don't mind things being a little far-fetched now and again, but that might have been pushing it even for The Rock. But we've watched some really good movies too. We watched recently James Cameron's Titanic. Now, I should probably give a spoiler alert here and tell you that in the end of the movie, the ship sinks. Uh, I hope you already knew that. But the genius of Cameron's storytelling is that there's a story within the story. There's a story of Titanic, yes, but within the story is a love story of Jack and Rose. And it's a beautiful story of how Rose's life is turned completely around from the depths of despair and feeling hopeless, even attempting suicide, to living life to the fullest, the most wonderful existence, a 180-degree turnaround. There's a children's author called Lauren Child, and she illustrates her own work. And within each of her books is a picture of the character reading a book. And the book that the character he or she is reading is the same book that you're reading. The cover that she's drawn is exactly the same. So it's like the character is reading their own story within the story. And the more you read them, the more fun it becomes in each book to try and look out for the book within the book. See where it is and spot the story within the story. The Road to Emmaus is not unlike that. It's one of the most amazing stories of Scripture because it works very much in the same way. It's a story within the story. The wider story is the resurrection narrative. 
in the context of Luke's gospel, we've just read all about the crucifixion. We've read about the empty tomb. We've read about the woman uh, and the angel. And so we know that Christ has risen from the dead and that there's something wonderful that is taking place, that there's something happening, that their excitement is building. And each of the appearances of Jesus become vital in strengthening that truth of the resurrection and establishing that Jesus is alive and not dead in the tomb. But within that big narrative, within that overarching story, is this story. Two disciples who get turned completely around, 180 degrees, from despair and hopelessness to excitement and purpose and hope. In fact, it's more than just a story within the story. It's the gospel within the gospel. It's almost like this is a microcosm of the gospel, a little, a little mini version of how the gospel is supposed to work in people's lives, a summary almost of the gospel, a little demonstration of, of how Jesus works and what Jesus does and what Jesus can do for us. Think about it for a second. You have two people whose lives are in disarray. They are facing a crisis of sorts that has them confused and not knowing where to turn or what to do. They know about Jesus. They know that he's risen from the dead. They know that. They've had this information already. But the information and the knowledge doesn't actually mean anything to them. It isn't internalized. It doesn't impact the way they are living or the decisions they are making. And that can be true for so many people today who know Christ is alive, who know that Jesus lives, but it doesn't actually impact how they live. I mean, think about it. They're actually leaving Jerusalem. The scene of the action where the excitement and where, where Christ is supposed to have risen, where, where everything is happening, they're leaving. They're heading away. That in itself gives some clue as to the disciples' sense of confusion and dejectedness and hopelessness. Now into that confusion and into that hopelessness comes Jesus. He reaches out to them in their moment of need. He makes sense of their confusion. And when they recognize that it is him, he invites them to do more. Their lives are changed 180 degrees. They head back to Jerusalem and begin to spread the good news that Jesus can do the same for everyone, the things that he's just done for them. That's the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. The basic idea of what Christianity is all about, how Jesus can, can work in our lives, all beautifully captured in the story within the story. The summary of the gospel where Jesus changes lives and turns them around 180 degrees from hopelessness and confusion to hope and purpose and joy and life lived to the full. Lived the way Jesus wants it to be lived. And that is why this is such a favorite passage of Scripture. Because we love those stories of change and turnaround. They're the best stories. Cameron's movie Titanic without Jack and Rose would have just been a documentary. But instead it's a story of a life turned around. And we love it. But to read The Road to Emmaus as the story just of these two men is to miss the best part of the story within the story. And that is that it's a story, <clears throat> excuse me, about you and me. The real story within the story is that it's a story about us. Like the character of Lauren Child's stories, we're reading about ourselves. 
as this story speaks not just of the moment when we come to acknowledge that Christ is our Savior and, and, and we live in His will and we do the best for our lives to be lived in that way, not only that moment, but it speaks of many moments in our journey towards being like Christ. Many moments when we realize there are areas of our life that continually need to be turned around by Jesus. Areas of our lives that, that we haven't given over to Him, that we've held back. Areas of our life that can cause us the same sense of confusion and hopelessness. Areas that we hold on to and don't want to submit. That's the real story within the story. It is about you and me. It's about our lives. And it's about that 180 degree turnaround to be in the will of Jesus and living life, every area of life, in the beauty of the light and hope and joy of the resurrection. And when we read that story of the road to Emmaus and see ourselves in it, we notice that there are three key moments involved in the turnaround. In fact, if you look carefully enough at the turnaround story, you'll see that the same three moments, whether it be, uh, the, you have the same three moments in every turnaround story. Whether it be the fictional story of Jack and Rose and the Titanic, or maybe the beautiful story of John Wesley's conversion where his heart is, is strangely warmed. Whatever story, turnaround story you like, there's these three distinct moments that are especially clear and illustrated for us in this story. Because we are meant to see that it's actually a story about you and me. How we live our lives. And how we go about letting God do what God wants to do in us. And the first key moment is this. <clears throat> it's a moment of interruption. There's a moment of interruption. As I said, these two men are walking along. They're confused. They don't really know what to make of the events of the last couple of days. One wonders where they are going. One wonders what they are doing. We have to presume that they're heading back to their previous life of whatever it was they did before they followed Jesus. It's interesting to note that there's actually some debate as to where Emmaus actually is. It's not clearly defined in biblical uh, commentaries, and often commentators disagree on the distance that it would have been away from Jerusalem. I quite enjoyed an interpretation from Frederick Buchner in which he suggests that Emmaus, spiritually speaking, is that place that we go to in order to escape. Whether it be retail therapy at the, at the shops or disappearing into a movie or, or, or hitting uh, some alcohol at the bar or whatever. Emmaus is the place where we throw our hands in the air and we say, whatever. It makes no difference. It's too hard. I will just do whatever. And I guess that's exactly what's going on here. It's all too hard for these disciples. We're getting away. We're doing our own thing. We're heading off somewhere away from, from all of this nonsense. We're going to somewhere where we can focus what we need to focus on. And then Jesus comes alongside them. And he interrupts them. What are you discussing as you are walking along, he says. And the way this interruption happens in their lives, here's the crucial point about it. They allow the interruption to happen. If we're ever going to live a life of faithfulness, 
we have to allow Jesus to interrupt whatever's going on. They could easily have told the stranger to mind his own business. They could have said, get lost, get out of here. We're, we're in mourning. We're busy having our own discussion. You don't have to walk with us. They could have quite easily ignored him as they sought to escape and perhaps start over again. But they don't. They don't. They allow the interruption to happen. And as Jesus is allowed to interrupt their confusion and hopelessness, so he begins to make sense of things in their lives. <clears throat> as they allow him and afford him the opportunity to interrupt their own muddling through their crisis, so Jesus begins to bring an order out of the chaos, explaining things, opening their minds, teaching him his will, showing, him, showing them his plans and his ideas. And he gives direction to, to their lost state and, and brings the sense of purpose to confused lives. You and I, we live in such busy lives. We're all champing at the bit for the lockdown to end so that we can get back to work, restrictions to get taken away so that things can get back to normal because the work is piling up. We've got stuff to do. We fill our days and our hours and even time that's meant for rest. We have watches that buzz with messages and phones that ping with emails any hour of the day or night. We're busy people. We fill up space. We fill up moments. We escape into the world of movies and books, which are not bad in themselves. But when we're doing it to silence the interruption, we're avoiding or blocking the voice of Jesus. We end up not having the time or the will to listen to the interruption. We're rushing off to Emmaus, filling our lives with stuff so that we can forget about the parts of our lives that are really in need of Jesus. The parts that we struggle with, the parts that are joyless, the parts that are hopeless, the parts that Jesus really wants to change and really wants to transform and really wants to turn around. We need to be open to the interruption of Jesus upon our lives. Be open to what he's saying to us. Where are you going? What are you doing? Can I talk to you? Would you listen to me? The first and most important aspect of life transformed is that they are open to the interruption. The second key moment is that they, the disciples, they issue Jesus with an invitation. The disciples are willing to invite Christ into their situation. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus makes as if he's going further, and he waits for them to invite him in. Isn't that beautiful? They have allowed him to inter interrupt their lives, but Jesus will not force the change. They have to invite him to do more. It's at their request that he stays with them. And that leads to the breaking of the bread and the moment of recognition. And it's then that Jesus is able to work in their lives completely, for now they are waiting and willing for him to do so, to transform them and change them and turn them around. Jesus breaks the bread and their eyes are opened and their lives are never the same again. I've often wondered what would happen to those two if they hadn't invited Jesus, if they had just said, okay, thanks, mate, see you later. One can only guess what they would have carried on to Emmaus and who knows what would have become of them or all the people that they ministered to as they went to the ends of the earth, as Luke says. 
To me, it's one of the most beautiful aspects of God's grace. That no matter his power or his ability to force change, he doesn't do it. His work within our lives is always at, his invi- at our invitation. Debbie's uh, series where she did Art for Your Heart and, and taught about making that beautiful cross that you see behind us. She mentioned the famous painting where Jesus is knocking on the door, but there's only one handle and it's on the inside. Waiting the invitation. In the parable of the prodigal son, the father lets the son go. He never stops looking and longing and waiting, but he lets him go. And the reunion is at the son's request. The son comes back. I often have people say to me, Oh, Reverend Stuart, you know, I I know someone who really needs to talk to you or or really needs some guidance or really needs some questions in their faith ironed out. Won't you please phone them? Won't you give them a call? And my answer is always the same. No, I won't. But here's my number. Get them to call me. Get them to phone me. Because crucial to the desire to change is the invitation to be invited in to do more. The moment of saying, Jesus, can you please change this part of my life? And the last key moment is that their lives make an impact. Three key moments for a changed life. Interruption, invitation, and impact. The disciples get up at once, and despite the distance and despite the fact that it's nighttime, they turn around and they walk back. They turn around and they walk back. They go to Jerusalem and they share the good news. They speak about what they have just experienced. Their lives are literally changed 180 degrees. Going that way, they're heading back this way. From despair and hopelessness to joy and direction and ministry and hope. And immediately, what happens is they've got an impact. It's this moment that reminds us that Easter is not over on the sunset of Easter Sunday. But it stretches out into the rest of our lives. It impacts others. And the good news for all people is not meant to be kept a secret. But the change that happens within us is a life-giving gift that impacts others. That brings hope and beauty and, and life as Christ intended it into the lives of others. It makes an impact. The story of the road to Emmaus is a story within a story. But most importantly, it's our story. It's my story, and it's your story. It's the story of how our lives are forever changed and transformed by a Jesus who wants to do nothing more but transform our lives into what he created them to be. It's a story of us finding hope and joy and fulfillment and having those parts of life where we've struggled with, those parts that we have battled with, of finding hope, of finding transformation. It's the turnaround story. 
the gospel for you and me. And just like a Lauren Child novel, we need to see ourselves reading the story in the story and know that it is about our lives. That we need to allow Jesus to interrupt us, to break into that busy schedule, to draw us away from the place of hiding, wherever that may be, whatever your Emmaus may happen to be. Allow him to interrupt us. We have to invite him to transform us. He loves us enough never to force his will upon us. And then we let that change impact those around us. Invite, interrupt, invite, and impact. May the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus be your story today. May it be my story today. Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, as you met up with those disciples on the road to Emmaus, the story within the story is that we each see ourselves in that place. We know, Lord, that there are, there are things in our lives where, where we just want to throw our hands up and say, we don't want to deal with that. We don't want that changed. We don't want that transformed. Just leave it alone. But yet, Lord, you continually come and seek to interrupt us. May your Spirit strengthen us to allow that interruption, to give space to hear your voice. May we issue you the invitation to transform us. Give us the will to change. And as we do so, Lord, may the changes you bring impact the lives of those around us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, part of our worship is to express our love for God and the gifts that we bring Him. And once again, I would just like to thank you for your faithfulness in terms of the direct deposits that we've received, the internet banking transfers that have happened, as well as the many people who have made their way to the church office and dropped off their envelopes. We thank you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness. And if you would like our bank details, they are on our website and they're on our Facebook page. They're easy to, uh, to find, and I would encourage you to do that. Even though we're not meeting, it is part of our worship, part of us expressing our, our love for God and saying, Jesus, every part of this life is transformed. Every part is to glorify you. And so as we do every Sunday, the fact that uh, we're not physically meeting doesn't mean that we don't offer our gifts to God. We bring them to him today. We dedicate them to him with thanksgiving in our hearts. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, that you are faithful even when we are not. We thank you, Lord, that as we bring gifts and offerings to you that have been brought to the office or deposited directly into the church's account in online giving, Lord, these gifts are a token of our love for you, a symbol, Lord, of 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 saying our whole lives, everything we possess, 
honors you and glorifies you. May you take those gifts, we pray. Use them to continue the work of this church in reaching people uh, far and wide, in building your kingdom, and in growing the work here at Bundaberg. Lord God, we offer those gifts together with the greater gift of ourselves, our hearts and lives and spirits. Use both for your glory, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, I look forward to seeing you on Tuesday. The whole idea of that interview is to provide a place for engagement. And so if you've ever watched the, the Facebook feed live, I know many watch the recording, but you'll be able to comment uh, as the interview progresses. So in a sense, you'll be sitting in and watching this conversation unfold. Um, and each week, as I say, there'll be a different special guest. But, but as you tune in, if you have a comment or a question or, or something about the sermon that you want to say or ask, we'll be able to engage with that. We can see the comments that'll come up and we'll speak to them and, uh, and dialogue with you in that sense. So make sure Tuesday, 7 o'clock Bundaberg time, you log on and uh, connect with our live feed and be part of that engagement. We usually chat at morning tea or around at Bible studies or fellowship groups or, or just when we meet up with friends. We don't have that opportunity now, but we can connect this way and hopefully find out a little bit more about how the sermon impacts our lives and the kind of changes that it will bring. Tuesday, 7 o'clock Bundaberg time. I'm looking forward to seeing you then. Shall we say the benediction? If you know it, feel free to say it in your homes. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and those whom we love this day and forevermore. Amen.